You're listening to I Fucking Love This Record, a music podcast hosted by me, the Derek Care of You. I hope you enjoy the show. You will be tripping on some of that voodoo we're going to throw down, talking about 1965, the sixth studio album by the Afghan Whigs. It was produced by band leader Greg Dooley and released on October 27th, 1998 by Columbia Records, their only release for the label. 1965 was their last record until reforming in 2012. Now, I think his stories jive, but on the other mic, we have a fellow podcaster and one sweet son of a bitch, Colin Jackson Brown. Colin, welcome to the show. Hello, Derek. You all right? <laughs> I'm doing just fine. So Good. we, uh, you and I and uh, your your compatriot recorded an episode uh, last week, so I'm looking forward to having you on the show here. This won't run for a bit later, so people will yeah. actually hear that one first, but uh, so that was... Uh, a good time. So you host two different podcasts, is that right? I do, yeah. Uh, we Dig Music and Free With This Month's Issue, both with uh, Ian, who appeared on your podcast uh, a while back doing the uh, Iron Maiden record. That's right. It was here doing Number of the Beast. Number of the Beast, that was it. I was trying to think if it was that or Killers, but yeah, it was Number of the Beast. So uh, my turn this time. <laughs> exactly. I figure it's only fair to have you on the show. So uh, yeah. instead, of, instead of talking about uh, old school heavy metal, we're going to be talking about some old school alternatives. So tell me, how did this album enter your life? Right. Well, it ties in quite nicely with uh, Free With This Month's issue, actually, because I first heard uh, Something Hot was on a free CD with uh, the NME, New Musical Express. It was uh, the Annual Probe Volume 2 in February 1999. It, which the same CD introduced me to Godspeed, Your Black Emperor and Arab Strap, both of whom are bands that I absolutely love as well. So it was good value on that. But yeah, bought, bought the album a few months later and it, it kind of helped introduce me to, I'd been listening to a lot of, you know, sort of metal and alternative and, and sort of grunge and punk, that kind of thing. But this kind of steered me down a kind of more soul direction. So I credit Afghan Wigs with sort of getting me into things like Curtis Mayfield and Otis Redding and, and James Brown and that kind of thing. Yeah, it was this record that was uh, where that all started, definitely. I feel like that would give Greg Dooley a very big smile to hear yes. that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this is uh, not the first Afghan Wigs record that I have covered on the show or the first Greg Dooley record that I've covered on the show, so... I've been over this a couple times, but just in case we have some new listeners out there, the first time I had heard the Afghan Wigs was just before this album came out, but it took me a while. So they had released this little release. I think they had, a, I got it as a free giveaway at my favorite record store at the time. They just, it was one of those, there was like a stack of them next to the cash register and it was called Hysterectomy. And yeah. it was a sampler of their stuff to that point. I don't think it had anything off of Big Top Halloween because they've kind of disavowed that record. Yeah. But I, I would say it had a couple of tracks from Congregation on. And I grabbed it and I listened to it and it didn't catch me. Yeah. But I didn't dislike it and didn't bring it back. <laughs> <laughs> and it just, it took about a year of just every once in a while throwing it on. And then finally, I didn't, just something clicked. Yeah, And just, oh my God, how has it taken me so long? <laughs> this is the greatest thing ever. I need to go and buy every single thing that this band has ever done. And that's yeah. basically what I did. And so I had gone back into the store and I was talking with my, my buddy Carl, who works there and who was also part of the Blackberry Bell episode uh, yes. that I did earlier on. He is the one I told him, I said, hey, if anything from the wigs comes in, put it aside for me. He's like, oh, you get into the wigs now. And then handed me the first Twilight Singers record. Because this was right after they had broken up and they had put out the, he had put out that as more of a side project at this point before it became yeah. his full-time thing. And so instantly in love with that record, instantly in love with all the stuff that they had done. The first song that really catch me was off of Gentlemen. However, I was in a really good place in my life when this, when I really got into the wigs. And so this album was the first one as an album that really grabbed me. I feel like if I would have, if, if this would have happened about two years earlier, I totally would have been into Gentlemen because I was in a shitty place in my life at that point. <laughs> uh, and that's a pretty dark, I mean, it's an opus, that one, but it's pretty dark and I love it. But this, there was just something about this being kind of the, the morning after record that I just, that just really instantly appealed to me. Though yeah. I think now Black Love is probably my favorite, but initially this is the one I just couldn't get enough of. Cool. So we're going to go ahead and jump into our track by track analysis side one song one the aforementioned something hot cocktails for two down love 
how this begins. I love that the striking of the match and then that bass line and then just all the music comes in and it's just, this is such a fantastic opener. I mean, there's no denying what you're going to be getting from this record right from the very beginning. So I love how this one builds and then there's all of a sudden then there's, you know, some piano going on and then there's those female backup singers. And every time I hear this now, I just think, ah, when major label money was being thrown at the (laughs) Afghan wigs. And just the production and the additional people. And I couldn't get quite a feel of who exactly was doing what. And there's a there's some different instrumentation on this record outside of the, the, the irregular musicians here, or you know, your bandmates, shall I say, yeah. band members. And it just really works. I mean, because it I don't feel like it goes overboard, but it just it just hits that sweet spot. Like, okay, yep, and you know, enter the pianos, you know, here comes the the female backup singers, there's the horns, and it really feels like something out of the 70s in the best way possible while still sounding very much of the 90s uh without also being dated it's kind of uh, yeah. I'm, I'm gonna i'm gonna see how many times i can contradict myself right here <laughs> uh, but anyway i just I, I think this is a fantastic song and a great opener what do you think about this one you've pretty much said most of my notes there i mean the 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 match strike and then the, that slide on the bass at the start what a way to start an album so beautiful and it, and then it's just just straight in and uh, it's got such a awesome groove to it. The piano was. This is probably a, a reference that maybe only works for uh, for people from the UK. But the the piano I've always referred to as Jules Holland type piano. There's a long running TV show called Late with Jules Holland. It's one of the few live music shows where they have like about six bands each week, and they'll do sort of two songs and go go around the room. One of the things that Jules Holland is sort of known for is he's he used to be the piano player in squeeze but every now and again he'll just start jamming with various different bands and uh apparently marky e. smith from the fall had to threaten him with violence because he wanted to go and play with them and uh he really didn't think it fit but it's that kind of sort of like boogie woogie piano sort of sound but yep. it doesn't sound shit <laughs> <laughs> yeah the way it's mixed is it's quite interesting because the piano is high enough in the mix that it doesn't quite sound like sort of you've got the vibe of of it's a very live sounding record with a, a lot of musicians playing at the same time but the piano would have to be quite amplified to be heard over the rest of the instruments that you're hearing so it's slightly unnatural sounding in where it sits in the mix but it works it reminds me a little bit of those, you know, 70s Stones records. Yes. Where they were just like, all right, yep, let's do that. We're going to throw that in there. And then, you know, just like you said, with that kind of boogie-woogie piano and then the horns and the singers and... Sort of can't you hear me knocking or something like that. Yeah. Yeah, I can I can definitely see that. But it's, I mean, this is, it's one of the more conventional songs on the record, but it's no worse for it. It's great. And I mean, we, we talked on when... You recorded the episode of Free With This Month's Issue with us the other week. One of the things that Ian, my co-host, who I don't think has listened to much of the Afghan wigs or, or Greg Dolly's stuff, he wasn't a fan of his vocals at all. But on this album, I think he's he really sort of improved. Um, I know he hadn't given up smoking yet because that was... Was that a Twilight Singers album that he said was one of his best? You'd mentioned in one of your episodes. Uh, I think actually it was their first record together as the Afghan Wigs again that when came they, out in yeah. 2014 or something. That was it, yeah. Yeah, because he'd, he'd given up smoking and said his voice was better than it had been ever. But on this record, it, his, his voice, to me, sounds perfect. There's, I mean, on, uh, on Gentlemen, there's a, quite a lot of bits where he's overstretching is off key and I still like it. I mean I like I like Billy Corgan's voice so I'm probably not the best person to <laughs> to judge that kind of thing. But yeah, it, I think his his voice on this really sounds like he's worked hard and looked after his voice. It sounds utterly fantastic. Something Hot should have been a massive worldwide hit, I think. You know, with the right backing behind it it could have been, but uh yeah, it wasn't. <laughs> Which he has too bad. And I agree. I think he's in, in really fine voice here. And I think because, you know, it feels like it's practice, but it also feels like I think he really was figuring out 
what he could and could not do with his voice. Yes. And so when he, there were times, like he said, in Gentleman, because he can be a little atonal. And I think when they slow it down, that really exposes yeah. some of the issues with his voice. But you don't get nearly as much of that in this record. You're right. The, with the later records, he just ended up playing a little bit with some falsetto and yeah. then also maybe going even a little deeper in his register. So he was having fun just kind of going and whether it really worked or not, it was more just about what he felt he could do in the studio. And this yeah. one, it just feels like this is the world's greatest rock and roll band and I'm going to sing in front of it. And that, and <laughs> that's really about it. Yeah. Yeah. That, and it, and it, it's great. Well done. <laughs> so let's go ahead and move on to track two. Crazy. What do you got for me, Colin? Some old boy who lived uptown song uh the, the the drums uh sort of i can never work out if they're live drums or if they've been looped because they're so solid and on the groove and it, it sounds like they could quite easily have been that he, he played a loop and then they they sampled it and looped it throughout because it it's fairly solid throughout the whole thing but then you've got the um the guitars and the, the slightly distorted um keyboard that comes in and then you've got the slide guitars and the way it sort of builds up and then towards the end they're layering more and more um slide guitar melodies to it, it's basically it's like an orchestra of of slide guitar and it's absolutely amazing that's really influenced my guitar playing because i do a lot of when i do um solo gigs i use a, a loop pedal so i'll quite often just build up melodies and add them over the top in a similar sort of way to how that sounds. And it's great. And I only realised the other day that Alex Chilton from Big Star is on uh, harmony vocals in the chorus, which I'd, I'd obviously never read the, uh, you know, the inlay years and years and years ago. It's, I've, I've got it, all my CD cases are in storage at the moment. They're, they're <laughs> up, uh, up in the cupboard upstairs that aren't very accessible. And all my CDs are in, like, CD wallets because we haven't got quite enough space for all of it and I've not got it on vinyl because it's ridiculously expensive but so I was sort of looking through the credits on on the internet and they're all a bit all over the place and it doesn't tell you who's on what track and it says Alex, Alex Chilton um, additional musicians um, so yeah. I had to do a bit of research and found out found in an interview that, that it's him um, doing harmonies because they'd worked at on one of the earlier albums, they did some recording at Jody Stevens' studio, and that's how they sort of hooked up with the the big star sort of contingent and uh, managed to get in touch with him that way. And I love Big Star. They're an absolutely amazing band. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, they managed to get Alex Chilton on there, and I'd never even noticed because it's really subtle, but once you know, if you know his voice, you can pick it out. And, yeah, so uh, what, what's your thoughts on this one then i like this one as well it's a little bit of a come down from something hot yeah and normally that what i think of is sort of that lazy shuffle that opens up this one is is it and obviously it's not actually lazy and it's it's practiced but that's how it feels to me in that kind of slower uh opening like that normally i'm not a big fan of that sound but I, it really works for me here i i love this one a lot I love how much he's able to do to go back to his voice and, and some of his lyrics, how much he's able to yeah. convey with two words when he says therapy, pharmacy. And I don't know why. And then the next line, and then he goes into the chorus and says crazy. And I love that. And it's just because that tells you, I mean, there's an, an entire, at least chapter, if not half a book in two words right there. You know, the, just the way he sings it, just that little pause. Yeah. And then there's even a Pink Floyd reference in there, you know, when he says over the rainbow and just, you know, I, I like this one. It's I'm, I'm usually just a bigger fan of the rockers. So it comes yeah. down to, so uh, the, like the, the more mid tempo or slower ones don't, don't always work for me though. Sometimes they, they work for me a lot. It just depends. So this is a good one, but, uh, and I'm going to go ahead and 
to kind of loop on into the next song because I love how the uh, there's the line in this one, you know, you know yeah. whatever did happen to your soul, I heard you sold it to some old boy who lived uptown who could afford it. And so then we go into track three, Uptown Again. how there's that little connection between the two uh just with the word uptown yeah which is not usually we say downtown in america but for whatever reason i believe like cincinnati yeah uh which is close to uh, greg dooley was born in i think hamilton ohio which yeah. is a suburb or you know not too not too far but you know the, the band let's say formed in cincinnati in cincinnati yeah. they say uptown so that's where like the, the the drinking district is the party district is as opposed to saying downtown. And there's a few cities in America that do that, and Cincinnati happens to be one of them. So here when he's saying uptown again, generally that means you know, you're going out for the night. That's where you're going to go. You're going to do your drinking, your dancing, your, your, your fighting and your fucking or whatever. And just, this is another one that I, you know, I don't normally focus on lyrics, but I really love a lot of the lyrics on this record. And I don't know if that just has to do with how many times I've listened to it or whatever, but uh, and just yeah. the way he sings deny, and you know, he's like deny, deny, deny. I know you'll try. There's something just about, there's a little bit of, uh, a little bit of accusation, a little bit of desperation, and just the way he utilizes his voice on that, I think is just, is great. And musically, this is a stormer. I mean, this is everything you want out of the Afghan wigs. It's got that boogie to it, but it's yeah. got that edge to it, like with the guitars. And it, this is, this rocks while also allowing you to shake your ass just a little bit. Yeah. I love the last line in this song where he's like, I've never done so well alone. You know, so you get this whole setup about what's going on. He's out having fun, supposedly. There's obviously some bad blood with uh, probably a woman here. And then just that last line, it's like, so I can't be held accountable for what, what you've made me do by letting me be by myself. And that's such a Greg Dooley line, especially during this era. What do you think about this one? Oh, it's great. I'm going to say that on all of them, I think. You've got the uh, sort of orchestral strings uh, intro at the start where it it plays really beautiful melody, but then it repeats it. But the, the second time that it does it, the, the strings are all... Um, playing tremolo so they're they're sort of strumming not strumming but you know with a violin bow bowing that's the word (laughs) this is what happens when you get a guitarist talking Uh, they're all all bowing at at sort of double the speed the second time through and it gives it a load of urgency um and i love that everything sort of crashes in with the the guitar bass and drums they do uh, there's there's a trick um that a melodic trick that greg dully does a lot and this song's one of the sort of best examples of him doing it, where so the verses sort of set up the tension, but then as it gets into the chorus, when they when he sings um baby and it, it sort of he holds that note for ages and the the sort of chords beneath it shift, but he's holding that one note. Um and it's in some cases you call it a drone, but it, drone doesn't sound as uplifting as <laughs> what Greg Dully manages to do with that kind of kind of technique, and it always in my mind it seems like the so the verses it, it sounds like you're sort of driving towards the edge of a cliff, and then as it hits the chorus, you're bloody flying off it like in a hang glider or something, and it, it, that's just the sort of weird imagery that I always get in my head from it. But he does that loads um, throughout his career because there's like Twilight Singers songs that do it. There's gutter twin songs where I really kind of get that soaring sort of vibe when it goes into the chorus. And it's, it's something I've when in my own songwriting tried to, uh, to steal. <laughs> but, uh, not, not necessarily as successfully, but uh, it's great. <laughs> Tension release is really good that they, yeah. they do here. And I love that you're, when you talk about that line with baby, because at first it sounds like a come on or like, yeah. you know, a pet name, but then he's like, he's, he's actually making fun of her, you know, cause it's like baby and he's singing it and I can't sing. So I'm not going to try. 
And then yeah. it's like, you, you think it's whatever. And then he says, you cry too much. I'm tired yeah. of the sound. You're such a baby. And it's like, oh, <laughs> yeah, that is, uh, that's not what I thought was, you know, initially from that, the way he sings it, because it doesn't necessarily have that bitterness to, to the beginning, but he's, uh, he's having a go. Yeah. All right. So that brings us to, uh, we'll say track four and five, which we're going to take on together. So we'll be talking about sweet son of a bitch going into 66. <laughs> for me so it's the the um there's a really nice bit where they're they're layering um sort of electronic drum um like samples and uh drum machine type things but then the real drums coming in um for the uh the choruses but then um you've got the the way that the acoustic guitar works with the the drum machine sounds i'm sounding massively inarticulate here but sounding bloody fantastic which is what i'm saying for all of them it's again a really really sort of the dynamics in this song are uh, what makes it stand out the most for me because it keeps coming back down in the uh, the verses and then and then raising it up in the chorus but it's and it's got the the drone notes in it again but it sort of almost sounds like it's like the sound's sort of smearing because it's like Dully's got this sort of he'll, he'll bend the note as he sings, and you've also got the uh, there's so much slide guitar on the album where the guitars um, fluidly moving between the notes rather than like having a, a, a dead switch between the different notes, and the way it works with that and the the reverb and the delay that they've got on it just sounds like it's all like sort of smearing together, but in a really good way. You know, in in lesser hands, it it could sound really, really messy. It just works perfectly. And then you've got the breakdown section where it all sort of slows down and Dully's just singing uh, Come On uh, over and over again. And then when it kicks back in with that piano part and the drums is just absolutely perfect. This is one of those records where it's really difficult to choose my favourite track, but I think 66 may possibly be it but I'll possibly change my mind later on on side two. (laughs) Every time I listen to the record, I'm like, oh yeah, this is one of my favorites. And then later on, it's like, oh, but this is even better. (laughs) And it's just a great album. Basically, I fucking love this record. (laughs) Thank God we had you on the show. (laughs) Indeed. (laughs) So yeah, I really, uh, I like that sweet son of a bitch. It's only 23 seconds long. And it's just kind of, you know, digital fuckery and some backwards masking and, you know, whatever, you know, just kind of little fun thing that it doesn't wear out its welcome and then kicks right into 66. And I love that acoustic guitar, at least acoustic sounding guitar uh, that opens it up because everything else has really been electric here. And it's just got more of that strum to it that uh, you don't hear quite as much. Uh, And so then it has that intro and then it it starts to, to go a little bit loud and you think it's going to kick into gear, but then it goes right back down again. Yeah. You know, then it fully goes into it. And you know, how many other singers could get away with rhyming rabbit and habit <laughs> and making it work? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> uh, and so, you know, and he spends like a, a whole verse just saying, like you said, come on. But then there's just that, you know, some, again, some more amazing slide guitar going. And I'm pretty sure that's uh, Rick McCollum, yeah. who's no longer a part of the band. Because I, I I think uh, uh, Dooley tends to do more of the the rhythm, and, yeah. and McCollum was doing the leads, and so that kind of push and pull between those two really set a lot of the the sound for these early Afghan wigs or these yeah. you know these the big Afghan wigs records here, and that really works. And and also this is it's a fun one because you know Gentleman like you said was so dark and and Black Love kind of the same, and then this one is a bit more of, of the party record, and so then you get something like '66. 
you know, you can put this one on at a party and it's not going to make everybody want to go jump off the balcony or something. <laughs> so it's not, you know, it's got just that big full sound and, you know, just like the come ons and the, you know, come on little rabbit. Yeah. You know, I, I know you got to have it or something and just, and I know my wife loves this song. And so this is one I've had to put on a couple of different mixes for, her, uh, so she could listen to in the car. Cause this is probably her favorite, uh, definitely her favorite on this album. Yeah. Well, th- this was the second single off the record. I think they only released two singles. Uh, it was something hot and sixty six. So uh, yeah, they're 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 the two. Um, I mean, there was an interview that I read uh, where Greg Dully was going through. Uh, I think he was ranking uh, all of in order all of the Afghan Wigs records, and he'd said that basically side one of nineteen sixty five was his attempts to write a radio record, so write radio songs successfully in some cases, less so in others. And then side two was where he went a bit more experimental with it. But yeah, he's, he's definitely said that it's it's their party record uh, in the same interview, which I can totally see, particularly with yeah. this song and and something hot. The two, you know, the two singles on there. Yeah, definitely. So I know they kind of like this. We sometimes refer to it as the the morning after record. Yeah, yeah. You know, <laughs> when you're when you're feeling a little bit better. But so let's go ahead and move on to track five, City Soleil. I love how this starts with just that simple bass line. Uh, and then it starts to just sort of tease as it's, you know, it kind of grows and then it backs down and then it grows and then boom, fully blossoms. And just, this is another one where you're, you know, you're throwing your hands up in the air kind of thing. And uh, there's a handful of, of Greg Dooley songs that I would love to hear kind of a club remix to. Yeah. Uh, you know, so not anything overdone, but just, I would love to hear some of these, with just more of a with more of a bass, more of a beat to it, yeah, and just see it, you know, see people on a full sweaty dance floor going crazy. Uh, this isn't necessarily one of those, but I could see part of that. But I just this is another, you know, he's, he throws in a little bit of uh, I think French in here just because, and and then you know another one with the last line. I love to say "Cité Soleil," <laughs> which in other hands could have come across as being just terrible, but again, works, <laughs> Yeah, works so well here. I just, I really like this one. What do you think? Yeah. I mean, it's, so I looked at where, so City Soleil is in uh, Haiti. The, so the government yard that he's, he's talking about in there, I think there are various, it, it really reminds me of not, uh, the tune doesn't remind me, but there's, there's various references in there. I think to no woman, no cry by Bob Marley. Because obviously you've got the the government yard that gets mentioned in yep. there, but then in in the chorus he says no crying. Mm-hmm. Uh, it only really occurred to me the the last sort of week or so when I've been absolutely pounding listening to the the record over and over again. <laughs> I was like, oh, hold on, yeah, because I I I thought I'll, I'll have a look up where City Soleil is and and what a government yard really is, and I think it's something like where the I believe it's to do with slavery, where the sort of slaves all used to live, sort of half halfway between like a workhouse and a prison is the interpretation that I kind of got of it. And then um, he, he also says uh, "catch a fire," which obviously is a Bob Marley record. Is it an album? Or yeah. It? yeah, it's an album title, isn't it? It is. Yeah. And the the whole record, because obviously this is sort of, if I remember rightly, it was written or recorded or both in New Orleans, wasn't it? And it's, I believe so. As somebody that's never been there, <laughs> so I may be completely wrong on that. But th- this gives me that kind of sort of like humid sort of um, atmosphere the whole album's got. And this this song really fits in with that vibe. You can sort of, you know, it just sounds like it's like claustrophobic kind of heat. Like the the only time I've I've ever been to. Um, America. I went to uh, while I was there. I was we were in uh, Las Vegas, and it was really sort of oppressively hot because I'm used to 
living in England where it's not. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it it, it kind of gave me that kind of sort of thought of, of that kind of feeling. You've even got sort of later on in the song uh, when it sort of breaks down and then comes back in, you've got the steel drums. Like you were saying before, in a different band, that would sound cheesy as hell, and it isn't. It works really, really well. I'm I'm so mad that I didn't catch all these little Bob Marley references that you're bringing up now because it's like it's it's all there and I should have seen it and I never saw it. So um, I'm going to say thank you, thank you for pointing it no, out. That, that's cool. I don't think many people have because I was looking on. Um, I I did a bit of sort of searching around on the internet to see if anybody had mentioned it on like songmoonings.com or Genius or something like that. That's where I found out about um, City Slayer being in Haiti. Yeah, no, it didn't mention anything about Bob Marley on there. Hmm. So, yeah. yeah. I, I look forward to uh, re-recording this where I say it and just erasing all your stuff. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, that's fair. It's going to be fun. <laughs> <laughs> that brings us to the end of side one of 1965 by the Afghan Wigs on I Fucking Love This Record with my special guest, Colin Jackson Brown. Uh, we mentioned at the uh, top of the show that you host two podcasts. Now, we had your compatriot on. He talked about We Dig Music, so I got you here. We're going to talk about Free with this month's issue. Uh, so tell me, uh, why don't you tell everybody, what's the concept of this show? Okay, so for people that are, didn't uh, grow up in uh, the UK, it's apparently not quite as much of a thing. I think it is in other European countries, but I know it wasn't so much a thing in America. But a lot of uh, magazines like Kerrang, uh, The Enemy, Metal Hammer, uh, Melody Maker, and that kind of thing quite often have um, or had free CDs with them uh, where they're basically like a sampler of upcoming uh, albums being released. And for me and loads of my friends growing up, this is how we got into loads of the bands that we ended up loving we in in the uk we don't have much um sort of rock radio so this is kind of what the bands released the stuff to instead or at least did in the 90s to get the songs out to people so you'd go to rock clubs and you'd hear songs that hadn't been released as a single in the uk wouldn't get any airplay anywhere else it was in still in the days before kerrang tv and mtv2 so you weren't even seeing them there but the songs were were getting out there to people on on cds on the front of kerrang and and that kind of thing i massed loads of them as i was growing up because i used to buy pretty much every music magazine i could get my hands on and then unfortunately uh with a ex-girlfriend that I used to live with years ago persuaded me to get rid of all of my CDs and give them to a charity shop. And I'm now having to buy them all back off eBay <laughs> to uh, to do the podcast. But but basically the idea... Have you ever bought one of your own? Did you recognize like that? <laughs> Not as far as I know, because um, there's, there's been a big gap in between the two. Uh, it was about eight, nine years ago that I got rid of them all, and we've only started doing it in the last two years. Uh, so we about just over a year and a half we've been going with it now. Yeah, basically the idea is me and uh, my best mate Ian, who I do both of my podcasts with. Um, it's the two of us plus a different guest each month, and we listen to a particular CD and talk through it track by track in a similar way to to we're doing on here. Um, but they tend to be rather than. Um, I always think the best episodes are ones where it's a good mixture of brilliant songs that have really held up and absolutely terrible ones that really didn't make it because <laughs> um, because we don't hold back. <laughs> you know, if, if there is something that is utterly, 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 utterly shite, we will say. And, uh, yeah. We it it's great because we we've ended up with quite a wide sort of variety of different guests. We, we've had people bringing on CDs ranging from metal through to like twee indie pop and that kind of thing. That that one was particularly good because Ian was just getting angry at every single track, uh, which is always <laughs> fun. <laughs> um, and yeah, it, it's great because some of these CDs you won't have listened to in uh, you know. 20 odd years but as soon as you put it on like the the memories are all straight back and i try and get hold of the magazines if i can 
um, that they came with. And through doing this, I've actually today bought the first, uh, uh, had come through the post, the first ever issue of Kerrang! I ever bought from uh, 25 years ago. Wow. I remember every single page. And it's really, because I, I won't have even looked at this Kerrang! for over 20 years. There's even like adverts and stuff and little tiny. There's one quite hilariously uh, tactless bit in there because it's in 1995 and it's got a uh, Richie from the Manic Street Preachers update. Richie is now being missing for 107 days yawn, which is uh, a little bit tasteless because <laughs> he's still not turned up 25 years later. <laughs> yeah. But I don't think they knew that that was going to happen at the time. I think they were expecting that he was going to turn up eventually. <laughs> but yeah, hindsight and all that. But yeah, it's great. We have a lot of fun doing it. We've got loads of stuff planned for, for future ones. And, uh, you know, if, if anybody's listening and particularly wants to be on it, you know, or if there's a particular CD that you want to hear about or you want to talk about, let us know and uh, we can do an episode with you. <laughs> And where can they find you? So uh, all of our podcasts are on wedigpodcast.com is our website where we collect them all up together. So that's got We Dig Music on there as well. That's free with this month's issue. Um, obviously, you can find them using your podcast uh, app of choice or Spotify or something like that by searching for free with this month's issue. Uh, if you want to find us on Twitter, it's at this month's issue. Uh, if you want to find us in Instagram, it's uh, free with this month's issue because we there's enough characters to put the full name on there uh, and the same with facebook uh, it's free with this month's issue on on facebook too but yeah send us a, a message uh or preferably you know just listen to it and if you dig it tell all your friends <laughs> well the, your friends that you think would dig it don't play it to like your friends that have no interest in music and only like you know football and that kind of thing they won't like it <laughs> probably not but I think anybody who likes music will like the show. It's it's a lot of fun. I've enjoyed listening to it, and I've enjoyed being. I, I really enjoyed being on it. I had a great time with that. Yeah, yeah, it's a fun episode, definitely. Uh, and apparently, I was I was your first foreign guest. So my next question is, why do you hate everybody else in the world? <laughs> it's a, it's not everyone else in the world. It's just there's a lot of people outside that you know the, the outsiders. Um, no, we want to get more. Um, it's just working out time zones and stuff a lot of the time. <laughs> oh, t- tell me about it. <laughs> <laughs> I've got there's there's a particular person that I we haven't asked yet, uh, but there's somebody that I really want to um, get involved who lives in Australia. I uh, have a four year old daughter, so there's only a narrow amount of time that I may I normally have to record in the evening because otherwise she'll be making loads of noise in the background. And I don't think that's going to work with an Australian guest. So we might have to work with other things. I might have to do it when she's at school or something as she's starting that in a couple of days. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. In one stretch, because I'm, as people know, I'm in Poland. So yeah. we're only an hour difference. So that's not too bad. Yeah. And again, I have two kids. I have a six-year-old and a three-year-old. So I have to do after they're in bed as well. Yeah. Uh, but at one stretch, at one point, I did a podcast for uh, a show called Ear Floss. And he's on the west coast of america yeah so we were nine hours apart and then two days later i did a podcast with somebody in australia <laughs> and you know so zoom on it the other way and it was very for the one uh for the one on the west coast i ended up because i think he we both thought each other were on the east coast of, of, of america <laughs> uh so we had made all these plans and then realized that we were you know nine hours apart and so i ended up waking up but i think three o'clock in the morning to do the show <laughs> so you get jet lagged without even leaving your house yeah it was fun <laughs> awesome let's flip the record over side two uh in our counting song six john the baptist What do you think about this one? Oh, it's this, this is probably the most funk song on the record. I think you've got the 
the uh, chucka chucka shaft wah guitar throughout the whole thing. It's it's like full on black exploitation funk, and the horns in it are amazing. The way they sort of uh, build up, it's kind of like like the whole record. Like I said, it's got a sort of New Orleans sort of vibe. This is it. Really reminds me of the traditional New Orleans funerals, but sort of in reverse because it it starts off with all of the the energy and the sort of upbeatness and then the last couple of minutes it all you've just got the horns and they're sort of going a little bit more sort of mournful and and like calming down um but sort of with various sax solos trumpets trombones wailing all over the place absolutely perfectly um greg dully's singing at like the absolute top of his range on this one but he's not um, going past where he's comfortable with it, so he's he's worked out where he can sing to and still sound brilliant. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> this is an absolute highlight on this album in Greg Dooley's entire catalog of music. I just I love this song. This is my favorite song on the record. Uh, it does have that New Orleans feel, that vibe to it which quite a bit of his stuff does. So, and it's just, just that mix. And they said, just that the humid kind of feel to it. I just, you know, there's strings on this and, and, you know, the, the strings come in, like you tell, you know, it's got that guitar at the beginning and then, uh, you know, the strings come in and it starts to swell and then the horns come in and it starts to swell. And then there's the drums and then the let's get it on. Yeah. And of course he references uh, Marvin Gaye's like, you know, I got a little wine, some Marvin Gaye. Yeah. And this is a place where, you know, kind of the, the cracks in his voice could show up in this first part because that it is a little bit where he stretches it out, but it absolutely works here. Yeah. And then this, this thing, you know, busts wide open. And I like in that second uh, verse when he changes, he's like, he's, I got a little wine. I got a little time. Yeah. So it sounds like he's going to be saying the same thing, but he switches it up on you. And there's something about that just scratches an itch yeah, <laughs> that yeah. just feels so good. You know, uh, when, when songwriters do that, where they're, they're setting you up for, you know, you think it's just going to be a repeat and then it's not, and then gives you an actual rhyme as opposed to before. Yeah. Oh God, this is so good. So I saw them, I've seen, uh, the, the African wigs and the gutter twins and the, Twilight Singers many times, you know, here in, you know, sometimes in Poland, sometimes I go to uh, Berlin to see them because it's actually easier to get to Berlin than it is to get to, let's say, Warsaw, if they were to play here in Warsaw. Yeah. Uh, and I've been been to Prague a couple of times to see them play. And, you know, so I've, I've, all, all around Central Europe, I've seen them play. Yeah. And when they released In Spades, which is their most recent record, now Greg Dooley has put out a, a solo record in the meantime, he put out a solo record in uh, 2020 but in um, i think it was 2017 2018 they put out in spades and uh sadly their guitar player dave rosser he passed away yeah uh, so he had, uh, he had colon cancer so i think i can't remember i think he had he had passed because he wasn't sure if he was going to be able to to make the trip and then he obviously was not and then by the time they played Prague, uh, he had already passed yeah and I just loved him as a guitar player and I just used to see him after every show and we'd actually talk. And so we were friends on Facebook and he was just a super guy. I missed hearing his guitar playing on these new songs. I really wanted to hear how he played them live. And the guy that they had was, he's also been in the band for the whole time. And and David actually shown this guy how to play the guitar parts and everything. And they just still just, there was something that wasn't the same. And then when they played John the Baptist, which obviously was before he was in the band, yeah, it just blew the roof off of the venue. It was such a release. And I have never cried at a concert before. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, I've been to a million shows and then they dedicated a song to Dave. And I mean, I'm singing along and I'm just openly weeping. And I can't imagine another place where, you know, another band for me that would happen, you know, maybe, you know, Leonard Cohen or something, but... <laughs> I did. I did see Leonard Cohen, and I did not cry while I was there. But <laughs> it was, uh, it was really just one of the best concert experiences I've ever had. Yeah. And oh man, I just, I just love the song. And I had mentioned that I, I did a, a podcast with a guy in Australia, and, and that was we were talking about this song. So it's the Take My Tone podcast. Okay. And this was my choice. So he, uh, he listened to this one. Uh, and then he gave me uh, an Australian band. I think uh, something about Kate. I, which was really uh, was really good as well. 
yeah, this is just really one of my all time favorites. And I love these at the end when he says like, I, I've got the devil in me, girl. Yes. And only, only Greg Dooley could make that sound like a pickup line. <laughs> Cause that's creepy as shit from anybody yeah. else. But from Greg Dooley, it's like, all right, here are my panties. Just take them. You know? Yeah. Seems fair. <laughs> <laughs> Let's move on to track seven, the slide song. probably the only song I don't really care for on the record. Uh, you know, I talked about before with that kind of like the lazy shuffle that was yeah. in crazy. Uh, that is normally a sound I don't care for, but liked it in that song. Just really kind of that sparse start doesn't do much for me. Like after the first minute or two, then it picks up and I feel like, okay, now the song is going to go somewhere. And then it just sort of settles back down and there's nothing for me to hold on to. I think this is sort of, it almost feels like a placeholder, but the album isn't long enough that it really needs one. You got to slow down sometimes or, you know, maybe this is where you change the condom or something, but (laughs) I just, I don't really, this is the only song that if I'm skipping something, this is the song I skip. I I rarely do, but yeah. What do you think? Up until this week, I would have said exactly the same. It's the most understated track on the record. And I sometimes forget it exists entirely. Like in in between listening, you know, if if it's been a while, I wouldn't really have particularly thought of it. But this week, obviously, I've listened to the album absolutely loads, and the last two days, this is the song that I've had stuck in my head. Um, wow! The, uh, the the sort of miles away um, ascending melody bit in the chorus, um, I've just had stuck in my head, and it, it's it's like it's finally clicked. Whereas I've I've just mm. not been bothered about it for, you know, twenty odd years, and <laughs> it's now there, and it's it's a part of the record. It, I wouldn't take it off. I I think it has its place, and it, it's now I've sort of worked out what it is, you know, that makes it sort of earn its keep on there, and it, it's that it's the way it's sort of the the bit where it ascends in in the chorus is it's really quite uplifting. You've got the layered slide guitar orchestra sound again that they had earlier in the album. And then sort of two-thirds of the way in, you've got that orchestral string break that's absolutely beautiful. And then the the miles away chorus bit comes back in, but it speeds up loads. Yeah, previously, literally three days ago, in fact, I was sitting there going, I've not got much to say about this one. (laughs) And then it's it's just clicked. Uh, which is good. I like that because I already loved every single other track on the record and now I love this one as well. That's great. <laughs> I love that when you just have a song that you hadn't paid any attention to, you know, it's it's so, it's so funny, like music is so weird that way. Yeah. Like, you know, you have that, like you, I've like, I've listened to this song 10,000 times and I never noticed this little guitar thing he does yeah. and now I can't not hear it, yeah. you know, it just out of nowhere, out of nowhere. Uh, so Slide Song hasn't clicked for me yet, but it's good to know that there's something possible like that, that the, the way the chorus soars is, is very nice. Yeah. Uh, there are some good moments on the song, but as a, as a full song, this is just never one that I, I specifically return to. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's got so much competition on the rest of the album because the quality is so high that, yeah. you know, the, there's so much that it's, it's competing against. So that's totally understandable that, you know, any song would sound not as good next to so many, absolute genius moments of awesomeness <laughs> let's move on to track eight neglected i knew a girl extraordinary suggested something
What do you got for me? This is it's more sort of uh, black exploitation funk, but it's cut. It's kind of got a film noir sort of vibe. Yeah, with the this you've got that sort of bluesy guitar riff. This is the one I, Kerrang always used to pick up on the lyrics in this song, particularly the uh, "You can fuck my body, baby, but please don't fuck my mind." That line used to get quoted <laughs> all the time. Yeah, it, it's it's kind of uh, I mean, particularly with the, the verses and everything, it's kind of a slow burn, but it's the same chord sequence all the way through up until the sort of coda um, end section where it completely changes. Yeah, it's great. It's another brilliant one. Greg Dully is a genius. The rest of the band, whose names I quite often cannot remember, are also geniuses. <laughs> but like like you mentioned in the, the Twilight Singers um, episode, he'd used the Marquis Smith quote, if it's me and your granny on bongos. Was that that was for the Twilight Singers, wasn't it? But I kind of get that vibe with Afghan Wigs as well. It's you know he's he's writing the majority of the the songs. He's producing the records. He's like kind of the focal point. Like you know he's he's sort of Robert Smith of the band. I feel like I may be doing a disservice to some of the other band members. <laughs> I would say I would say especially with this initial run, uh, you know the. The give and take between him and, and Rick McCollum on guitar, uh, yeah. and then just the uh, the bass is really because you know the bass player is the only one who's actually let's say returned in this new new version of yeah. of the Wigs. Uh, so John Curley is, I think, a, a producer in his own right. He's he's the one that is in charge of what is it, Suede Sound or something like that. He uh, he produces a ton of records. He's got his own studio. Right. Is he the the bass player? Or is he the current guitarist? He's the bass player. Bass player. Who's yeah. the? Because I I probably should have checked this, but he wasn't on this album anyway. The current guitarist that they've got, the guy has that. There's a guy who does all of the demo. Uh, reviews for electro harmonics pedals so all of the guitar pedals and i recognized him from that the first time i saw him with afghan wigs because so i've never seen them live uh i've seen twilight singers and gutter twins but i've never managed to see afghan wigs but yeah when i've seen him in photos with him i was like hold on he's the bloke out of the electro harmonics uh pedal demos <laughs> so I want to say the guy, so John uh, Skibbick, That's him. I think is his name. Yes. Yeah. So he he played guitar. So like the thing with the, the original lineup of the Afghan wigs, other than the drummer, because uh, I think Greg Dooley's been through more drummers than Spinal Tap. <laughs> well, they keep exploding. Yeah. You know, what can you do? The, the original drummer, Steve Earle, I want to say he played up until uh, Black Love and then... Or no, even before that, because I want to say then they had two different drummers on the last two records. So Black Love had a different drummer. This yeah. album had a different drummer. So, but let's say that core, those original three, uh, are are definitely a part of the Af- yeah, you know, yeah. what makes the Afghan wigs work. Whereas with uh, with the Twilight Singers, that really what you know, because that's you know, different people would play on every track. Yeah. Sometimes I think up until in Spades, I think in Spades was pretty much the the set band at that point because yeah. uh, they 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 put out a record, they toured, and then went right back in the studio and, and recorded something like eighty percent of that record almost immediately getting off the yeah. road. That was it. But you know, like you said, he he writes the music, he uh, he produces the records, and so I think with the and now let's say with the Afghan wigs now, it's kind of the same thing there's not a huge difference between current afghan wigs and and twilight thing you know basically john curley yeah <laughs> you know john curley is the big difference that he's he's there because he's went through he used a couple of different bass players like he said you know every track could have a couple of different people yeah. on it but now john skibbick he he played on quite a few of the twilight records yeah. and the first time i saw the twilight singers he was the guitar player uh and then after that dave rosser really took over and skibbick would be here here and there and then now uh, Rick G. Nelson, who I want to say was part of the Polyphonic Spree, yes, he, was. But he, he does a little bit of everything. And so, you know, I've seen him up there and he'll be in front of the, the keyboard. He'll have a, a violin tucked under his neck. He'll have a guitar strapped yeah. on his back. And I've seen him play cello and maybe the <laughs> harp or something. I don't know. Just like he's just doing something different. And so then really took over the guitar. Well, playing when, when you're in the polyphonic spree, there's enough instruments there on tour that you can just practice everything. So you probably just pick that up. <laughs> <laughs> I believe so. Yeah. So always, always fun. But um, so that was, 
where, where am I? Neglect this now. Where are we? So, oh yeah, neglected. And it's, it, yeah. And I think it's, I think it's my turn now. I love that. I, I think it's an electric piano that opens this up and that's what gives it that real black exploitation flavor. Yeah. Of course, just, this is so sleazy lyrically. And it's, you know, like I love that met a girl extraordinary <laughs> suggested something unsanitary, <laughs> which is so great. It's such yeah. a great line where it's, it's, it's just, it's sleazy, but also a little bit silly, but what a great rhyme. I mean, come on, that's a great yeah. rhyme. And I just like how there's the, you know, and those little bursts of the electric piano go throughout the song. So, it, you know, just to provide that kind of hook, but it's not in the forefront. Like it's right there at the beginning. It's really on top at the, at the opening of the song, but then throughout the song, it's just more in the background just to remind you that yeah. it's there. I think that's great. My only issue with this song is I really wish it would have ended uh, going up. I, I really wish they would have gone for the big bombastic ending as opposed to having it just sort of trickle yeah. out. That's really my only issue. Something I just re learned just recently, well, you know, doing research for this one, because, you know, it, obviously they have neglected spelled with yeah. a K as opposed to a C. So it's, it's misspelled on purpose because this is the only album they put out for Electra. No, sorry. This is the only, this is the only one they put out for Columbia. This was. Yeah. So this is the only one they put out for Columbia. And before that they had put out two records for Electra, which they used to refer to as Neglectra. Uh, so they felt like they had gotten, they had gotten kind of a, a bad deal from Electra, uh, that they weren't, you know, I think it, that's sort of the classic case, if I remember correctly, where the people who signed them, that by the time they started to record, were no longer with the yeah. label. And so then they're stuck with people who weren't the people who were championing them. And, you know, that's something that's just, you know, the music history is littered yeah. with that, where there's a changing of the guard and then a handful of bands are just kind of left out in the yeah. wind. And so that's where this comes from. So even though it's like this, this sounds like the sleazy pickup line, as far as I know, the song was originally called Sylvia uh, because of the, the woman who was their rep at, Electra Records. Okay. Are you familiar with the band Spoon? I know little bits about them, but not much. Okay. So they had a very similar experience, at, and I believe also with Electra. In between, uh, so they, they had this album called The Series of Sneaks, which didn't really do much, and then uh, because they and they got dropped from the label, and uh, so there's a, a little EP that they had put out called The Agony of Lafitte. Lafitte was the last name of the guy who. Uh, had i think signed them right and there's a whole line in there where it's like you know you, you're no better than sylvia <laughs> and i think it's just the same sylvia <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> that the afghan wigs were complaining about so uh i, and right. I never really quite put all that together that's one of those like i kind of knew a little bit of this a little bit of that and that was the first time i had the full picture and i was like oh everybody hates this lady okay that's <laughs> I, I can handle that. But yeah, so this is this is a good one, and I just really wish it would have had that, and you know, it, it would hit that moment, and then the end would just be this huge, I don't know, something, some you know, like a great guitar solo, or <laughs> just I, I really just would have, would have just gone boom, as opposed to eh. uh, that's my only issue is like the last thirty seconds of this song. But then that does lead into, and we're going to take the last two songs together. We have uh, Omerta followed by the Vampire Lenoir. It's an instrumental, and it really stays in the same key. I guess I'm not a musician, so it's it, it, like the guitar sounds the yeah, same throughout the it, both of them. So it's more of just like an, it's like a coda, an, so. an extended outro yeah, or outro. Good word. Yeah, that works. Coda is even better. I like <laughs> it. So. And this one's just, this is slinky. I love how this one opens as well. They, they did a great job with the openings on this record. That's for sure. <laughs> then just like the, almost like, not so what I want to say stream of consciousness vocals, because they're telling a little story like that, you know, they bought some drugs off these snotty little rave kids <laughs> and shuffled off to Buffalo. And just the way he sings it, it's cool. I love that. 
And then as soon as he says Buffalo, then that, there's that kind of like that sound effect or, you know, guitar that kind of races in between the channels. So like if you're listening on headphones, yeah. you know, it goes from one ear to the other and then back again. It stays in that kind of mid-tempo groove for a long time. And I always forget how much I love this yeah. song. I always think, oh, okay, it's that's, that's one of the slower ones. And then it's like I listen to it and I am in it and this has another it, this sounds a little bit noirish yeah. as well and then it kicks into those beatles yeah yeah yeahs and then goes out in that we'll say coda of just like you know three minutes of just awesome guitar it's such a it really finishes this album up it kind of puts a little bow on it kind of reflects all the things all the all the highlights of the record and you know those soul influences and those indie influences and those rock influences and uh, just a just a fantastic song to take us out of the yeah. record what do you think it's great uh, i looked at what a murder meant because i knew it had something to do with the mafia it's a code of yeah. silence about criminal activity and refusal to give evidence to the police so that sort of fits in with the the buying drugs and that kind of thing in the lyrics. Yeah, but yeah, it, it, uh, Greg Dully said that this is one of his favourite songs on the record, and he, he described it as a spooky travelogue through the New Orleans underworld, which fits because <laughs> that's exactly what it sounds like. Yeah, he's also got that that bit where he says, "I don't sleep because sleep is the cousin of death." At least that's what Nas says because that's a quote from yeah. NY, <laughs> New York State of Mind by Nas. One thing that I just sort of struck me is when you said about the the Beatles yeah 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 I wonder if the Twilight Singers uh, covers album She Loves You is a sort of reference in the same way of the fact that they'd done this previously because it's the same Beatles song seems like the kind of thing that he'd think of <laughs> oh oh yeah definitely because then they uh he also included it on the one Twilight Singers song um forty dollars right if you are familiar with that so because he both he quotes um uh hey yeah you know with the i'm just being yeah. honest yeah and then finish you know with the you know she loves you yeah. and so it does the full does the full chorus there on the on the yeah. outro and it, uh, it's another brilliant one i love it i don't know if when they did it live that they ever because with Amerta and the vampire lenoir together it's about nine minutes ish nine and a half minutes it seems like it's designed for if they wanted to they could jam out the vampire the vampire lanoir to be you know another 10 minute long jam at the end of a gig uh it worked perfectly for that because it's it's got loads of sort of soloing all over it and uh it, it reminds me a little bit of neil young and crazy horse when they're sort of at their jammiest that kind of sound sort of and uh, the drums are great on it the particularly towards the end there's some some of the snare fills on it are are fantastic in the the way the drums are sort of shuffling again it's a great closer the whole album doesn't outstay its welcome it's not over long in any way and i i don't think there's anything wasted on there it's you know even with this the two tracks together being nine and a half minutes because i always think of them as one song in fact when you just put the cd on you don't necessarily notice that it's even gone into an a new song because it, it blends together so well yeah and it doesn't seem as long as it is you know sometimes you can be listening to stuff going shave a couple of minutes off that but i, I don't think they necessarily need to do that at all it ends really well and it's a, it's it's a good way to end an album and it'd be a good way to end a live gig it does the job it is designed to do <laughs> and it's good i like it that's for sure and it really made me wish i would have seen them because i didn't get into them until a bit yeah. later uh, like right after this kind of the end of the tour cycle, you know, the first time I saw Greg Dooley live was for the Twilight yeah. Singers. So I missed this one and I'm sure they ended, you know, a lot of shows with this, with these two and with a really extended, with an extended jam up at the yeah. end. I'm sure of it. Do you have any uh, final thoughts? It's a very good album. Everybody should listen to it that hasn't already. And if you have listened to it already, listen to it again. It's good. <laughs> it really is. And, and I really, if there was any justice in this world, if there was any justice in this world, this would have been like a victory lap. Yeah. Like this album would have been huge yeah. to give the, uh, you know, uh, to square it up with a, another band of the same era. So like with Soundgarden, like Gentlemen should have been there louder than love. Yeah. It's the one that got them noticed. It put them on the map. It's like when they kind of, everything came together and then Black Love should have been Bad Motor Finger. Yeah. Just gigantic. And then 19, this should have been their super yeah, unknown. Yeah. This should have been the world, you know, we should, they should have had six singles. <laughs> <laughs> you know, people should be sick to death of this record because it was on the radio so much. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. 
We should get a time machine and go and make that happen. (laughs) (laughs) It would be nice. It would be nice. So anyway, that's going to bring us to the end. So uh, as I like to encourage my listeners to do so, if you'd like to uh, check out everything that I've ever done, you can find it on my website at uh, lovethisrecord.com. If you would like to co-host a show, there is a wish list contained therein. And if you see something that you fucking love, hey, get in touch with me. We'll we'll make a show of it. While you're there, you can also uh, hear my what I like to call my semi-pretentious solo side project, which is called Album Side, where I drink a beer while listening to one side of vinyl. And that is only available on the website. You should check that out. And while you're checking out stuff, you definitely need to go to uh, We Dig Music and Free With This Month's Issue. You can find those. Where do you find those once again? Uh, WeDigPodcasts.com is our website, or you can find them in all your usual podcasty thingies just by searching for weeding music or free with this month's issue just like how you found this podcast so you clearly know how podcasts work you're listening to one now terrific (laughs) colin jackson brown i do appreciate you taking the time and joining on the show and talking about well one of my all-time favorite records so thank you and uh, goodbye thanks for having me it's been a lot of fun thank you for listening you can find all of our episodes at lovethisrecord.com intro and outro music by the ashes of grissom and thanks as always to original patron mark evers